0: Welcome to episode 129 of the Left Behind Game Club. This week we begin our two part Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild series with part one. Let's get right into it. You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host today, Mo and today I've got two of my good friends with me. With me first, the OG, the one, the only, Mr. Michael Ruffalo. I'm finally excited to be talking about this game. It's been a while. It's been a good while. And finally, we have it completed, and our next guest who's helping us tell the story is a good friend of mine, one of my comrades on Call of Duty, my good buddy, Galen Havy. Hi, Uh, yeah, um, (laughs) Uh,
1: I'm also excited to be here and excited to talk about this game that uh, I love playing so much. So I'm excited to be here, guys. Awesome.
0: Yeah. So today we got the one of the games that I think Mike has been bugging me to play, to play, to play. And it's just never, never pulled me in. But I completed it. I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to talk about it. It's Breath of the Wild, Zelda's first iteration into the Switch world.
2: I cannot believe you said it did not pull you in
1: man i i feel like we've got a lot to to, to dig into there totally yeah, i was i was the exact opposite it pulled me in immediately
0: man it was a roller coaster like completely uh i, I liked it i didn't like you know what i'm not even gonna get into it Let's first first start kind of from the very beginning kind of do a little bit of an intro of our good buddy uh galen uh so tell us a little bit about yourself maybe what you like to play and uh i mean what you liked about breath of the wild
1: uh, cool. Yeah. So my name's Galen. Uh, I've been friends with Hi, Galen. Hello. <laughs> uh, I've been friends with Mo and Mike. Uh, for a while, we went to high school together. Um, and we've all played some uh great rounds of Call of Duty together. So here we are talking about more games that we that we played. Too. Uh, Galen, I'm gonna I'm gonna
2: put you through the gauntlet. These are a series of questions that uh, that most listeners probably don't know about. Okay, we, we often do this before the show, but we're gonna shake things up. All right, you know? Give it to we're me. we're just gonna like do this during the show <laughs> um what is your earliest gaming memory
1: uh my earliest gaming memory is playing sonic the hedgehog uh the first one on sega genesis with my brother
2: okay who's better sonic or tails
1: i'm uh i'm a sonic guy i like going fast Okay, who's
2: better sonic or
1: knuckles knuckles easily yeah oh not- he's okay. so cool okay <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> who's cooler shadow or knuckles
1: Ooh. uh shadow just because he's uh you don't see him as much he's got that mysterious factor to him gotcha gotcha fair 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 um what is your favorite game of all time my favorite game of all time probably has to be gta san Andreas. that's a it's a very good choice that's a very very good (laughs) choice um what is the
2: game that you spent the most amount of time playing
1: uh if you're just looking at like pure numbers it's probably call of duty modern warfare 2 multiplayer um in terms of like a single-player game that I probably played the most, I played a lot of Halo 1 on the original Xbox back in the day, mostly because it was the only game uh, that we owned at the time. <laughs> Amazing.
2: Okay. Uh, were you a Halo or Killzone kid?
1: Uh, Halo. I never owned a PlayStation uh, besides the PS4 growing up, so
2: yeah. And that's okay. We all make mistakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I mostly just say that because I like to rub it in the... The, the salt the salt in the wound of those PlayStation fans who ever thought that was a comparison listen that um, mistake
1: was made for me so <laughs>
2: <laughs> amazing amazing uh, I guess lastly what is your most controversial gaming opinion that listeners when they hear
1: this might want to come for you with knives ooh um, uh, my most controversial gaming opinion is that Dark Souls 2 is the best Souls game ooh,
2: yeah. ooh that's a good one <laughs> Let's give a little bit of context before we get into it about what it was like uh, when this game came out. And this game came out in 2017, and it was a long time coming. I think the last mainline Zelda game that we had before this was Skyward Sword. Um, did either of you happen to play Skyward Sword?
0: No. Oh, uh, I think Breath of the Wild is my first uh, Zelda game in a while, so no. Really? Yeah. I, I did know, not. I, yet. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I, uh, I definitely did not own a Wii U, and Skyward Sword always looked bad to me. Um, that's maybe my controversial gaming opinion, that, uh, that people in the comments can come at me with, uh, with spoons and knives. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely was not interested in that at all. But when this game came out, um, it was a long time coming, and then in the process of playing it, it felt like there were probably a lot of versions of this game that should have been released as like a V1 but this is so polished and so smooth that it's like they they probably had multiple versions of this but behind behind closed doors that uh, that could have very well likely seen the the light of day um, yeah. Mo, what were you? sorry
0: Uh, no i was like yeah isn't it because like right now there's a new game like the hyrule warriors the most recent one and that seems like it's just been like that value add the bonus content that like wasn't completed in the game so i can totally see it, like this could have been almost like a release where like each region each divine beast essentially could have been like season one varuta season two and kind of but it was surprising it came together like it's really polished polished final product and i I, to me it seemed like it came out of nowhere i wasn't expecting the switch to actually have a full-fledged uh, adventure game, even though I did play it more recently.
2: Yeah, and then I think the other thing to flag is this game. Correct me if I'm wrong. Came out with the Switch at launch or very close to it, and the Switch's launch had just bangers, just like really heavy hitters. We had Super Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild in one go. Um, they made a really strong, compelling case right out of the right out of the hop with uh, the Switch being a a console to get. Um, They definitely were not making (laughs) the mistake of the, the Wii U.
0: Yeah, and it was, the buzz was there, too. Like, I think when they released all, like, the the re- the like the teaser trailers and, like, the animations, people almost thought, like, there's, there's no way this is going to run, like, on a little mobile pl- platform. And then it, what I noticed specifically, because I wasn't an early adopter of the the Switch console, so I didn't play Breath of the Wild until years down the line. It, like, maintained that hype. Like, no matter what, what, year one, year two, year three, if someone was picking up a Switch, it became, like, synonymously with, like, hey, you have to pick up Breath of the Wild first, like, no matter what. Like, it almost it stepped over the traditional like Mario games that are usually recommended it was uh, it was with like to this day someone picking up a switch what do you hear hey you have to play breath of the wild
2: yeah. i couldn't agree more um i remember when this game came out it was not just a universal like oh this is game of the year like almost hands down um but the conversation around it was like oh my god i can't wait to see the games that come after this that take all of the lessons and all the just paradigm shifting elements of it and incorporate that into future games this just felt like a landmark moment in the same way that super mario 64 did in the same way that ocarina of time did um in the same way that grand theft auto 3 did um they were all moments that you just felt like oh this is the new way that we do things and playing this game now in the modern day it blows my mind that we do not have more games that have like taken these things and adopted them and 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 implemented them and it probably just signals how incredibly hard it is right if you think about it like skyward sword came out in 2011 or 2010 and this came out in 2017 so that's a long time (laughs) to be developing a game totally um so okay, let's bring ourselves back to 2017 while we're while we're talking about it. What were you guys playing back then?
0: Man, I just for getting ready for this episode, I did a quick little uh, search to the past. I just want to name off some of the games that came out in 2017 that were competing with this. So Horizon Zero Dawn, banger. If anyone hasn't played that, I, I kind of I. Pre- preach this game in our discord server all the time great uh, video game that was there Uh, in addition to that you had near automata that came out in 2017 as well Um, similarly you had cuphead destiny 2 just launched uh, uh, around that time as well just game after game after game that you kind of hear nowadays is you have to play this you have to play this all came out in 2017 alongside breath of the wild so it it definitely had to compete with quite a few uh, video games at the time
2: there were, there were a lot of good games. Galen, what were you playing back in 2017?
1: Uh, I was a little bit late to the party on this game, but the game that I was playing uh, at the same time of that uh, and kind of falls into the same genre in terms of being an open-world RPG game is I was playing The Witcher 3. Ooh. Yeah, and so it was kind of interesting to compare and contrast those two games, basically like one after the other, uh, just because oh, cool. they do share the same genre, but they are totally different in almost every way.
2: Yeah, I think if you look at one of the games that came out that year, I think it was um, Assassin's Creed, probably Origins. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was that year. Um, and, you know, just you you can't imagine, at least I couldn't imagine types of open world games that just showed different levels of ambition and what was important. Um, Breath of the Wild not only feels like a game that was going for a more realist photorealistic like view than previous Zelda games and the whole landscape looks amazing but also the the ways that you interact with it and it's just not something that I think a lot of the other open world adventure games of the time were doing
0: yeah totally and we'll touch on all of them I think maybe we can like start off and like uh, talk about like what system and what console we played on the the game on but I think unanimously we we played on the switch um is, is that right from everyone
2: yeah, I played on the Switch. I played it exclusively docked. Um, I've, I've heard stories of people who had poor performance hitching and lagging when they undocked it. And frankly, this was just a great game to lay back on the couch with with uh, a pro controller
1: in my hand. Uh, yes, yeah, so the first time I played it through, I played uh, actually a funny story. I just was walking in through Best Buy and just like played the display model. Uh, on the floor yeah. and was like not then and there but it, it made me want to buy a Switch so ended up playing on a Switch uh, and then most recently I did play it uh, via an emulator on PC cool how was that? how does it perform? Uh, it performs great you get to play it in 1080p 60fps ooh yeah a little bit jealous at times it's literally- it's kind of hard to go back from
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, I was on the opposite side because opposite to Michael I never play my Switch like docked I always have it handheld, and this was the first game where I started noticing a little bit of like a frame dip, and it was only in like one specific like area of the map, and it was consistent. The second I entered it into it, and it was a, a spoiler alert. I guess we should we should even start with that. If you've list, you're listening to this podcast, we will be uh, spoiling the majority of the game, so make sure you play the game and then come back to this episode and pick it up. Um, but yeah, Master Sword. As soon as I mm-hmm. lifted up, entered into like that forest to get the Master Sword that's when like the frames just stopped like it's
2: started chugging along oh (laughs) i
0: I was so upset because i've been i've been i wanted to be a late adopter of the switch because i didn't want to have to like go through that but at the same time it it didn't ruin anything it's it was still such a, a cool moment absolutely so okay let's talk about all the things you
2: need to do and learn before you can get to the master sword um so I think we i think we've mentioned this at the top of the episode, but just for a little bit of context we 're going to be covering two of the divine beasts in this episode and the remaining two and Ganon in the next episode um, in this episode we 're covering varuta and varudanya and we're also going to cover, I think, more of the, like, foundational things about the game. Different systems, things that we want to do. If you're more interested in the second half of the combo, feel free to check out our next episode. Um, but for now, let's talk about all the things you need to learn getting into it, all of these different game systems. This game is a game about just different systems. <laughs> and holy cow, is it amazing how they all interact.
0: Totally. But it, it, it's can get overwhelming because like there's so many things you can do to modify your game like we're talking about game systems some of the ones that we're talking about are like the food um the cycling of the different weapons the different types of weapons um how health and stamina is both like acquired and like managed to fight certain things um the different shrines scattered around the map and discovery of like where to go because unlike the previous games this game is purely open world um, they kind of start you off initially when you wake up uh, as Link into the world and in, force you into a path of discovering the, the different mechanisms in the game by completing shrines and traveling through a general linear path until the game totally opens up.
2: So we, we should probably take a step even further back. From oh, that. OK. <laughs> <laughs> and we should probably, you know, let's let's talk about waking up as Link um, and where you go from there. How does how does that all play out?
0: Yeah, it's 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 kind of a very like mysterious moment. You're waking up as Link, and you're hearing a faint voice uh, in in the air. Turns out it's Zelda uh, who's calling you up to to awaken you into this world. As you emerge, you realize like, "Holy, like, where am I?" Things are almost destroyed. You're kind of in this barren, not wasteland, but a giant open world. And you meet a old gentleman who fast forwardish a little bit along, kind of guides you to to complete a few tasks. Turns out he's the previous king of Hyrule, and he's kind of telling you about the current situation. Um, Is that too fast so far? No, I I think that's. I think it's
2: great. I think one of the really interesting things that they do is as soon as you exit the cave that you were sleeping in, there is a tree branch in front Mm -hmm. of you, or a couple of different tree branches, and then there's a woodcutter's axe. And those two experiences with the different Macablins or goblins or whatever they're called playing <laughs> around um, help you, one, realize that all of the weapons that you pick up are going to break. Everything has a durability uh, on it. And then after that, you need to figure out how to get more weapons quickly.
1: Yeah, I think what both you guys just mentioned, the waking up and you're kind of confused about where you are and the state of Hyrule, uh, and then also... You see the Great Plains uh, as soon as you exit the cave. And then the other thing you, that you mentioned, Mike, about the weapons breaking is they all kind of serve the greater purpose of this game. And sort of like, I guess you could call it like the thesis statement is just the word discovery and just how every single element, and you can just kind of feel that every single decision made in this game was to encourage you to discover the world and to kind of figure out what, uh, how you want to play it and how you want to go about it. Uh, Cause you, pull out to the Great Plains and you see uh, Hyrule Castle off in the distance. You're like, I want to go there. You see some other towers off the distance. You're like, I want to go there too. And it's up to you to discover how to get there uh, and how you're going to make your way across this open world.
2: It's such an amazing feeling to know that anything you can see in the game, you can eventually get to. Yep. Um, Like so many games will give you, especially like the Halo series, give you an amazing, beautiful skybox that looks unreal, but you have no hope of ever really being able to go and experience and see those things. And one of the great, both overwhelming and awe-inspiring moments is when you realize, oh, that thing that just seems way off in the distance that I'll never be able to get to is a place not only that you'll go, but probably go multiple times. So let's talk a little bit about um, the, the the weapon system. We've talked about a bit about it already. Um, each so this is this is my encapsulation of it. I love to hear your thoughts and how you tweak it or add to it. But this system is designed around disposing of weapons, uh, breaking them, and finding new ones. And it is both so joyful to find a really great weapon and so frustrating to have it break in your hands. Uh, because I found that because these weapons broke so often. Or so easily that I was hoarding weapons left and right. I was trying to find the best weapon and then hold on to it in a way that like, oh, well, I can't waste it on this battle. There's going to be a better time to use it Um, until I eventually was just not using these weapons. I was buying more and more space in my backpack to hold them all, uh, but rarely ever actually using them
0: did you guys have like a like a specific like early on obviously you're cycling through different like uh, weapons but did you have that weapon type that you'd hold on to for those tougher fights because i think you kind of to survive you always have to have something in the bank ready in case that big batter person comes at you what did you usually save uh for your fights
1: uh my go-to's are always the guardian weapons just because i felt that they did the most damage and lasted the longest uh but it was definitely a bit of a hurdle to get over uh just being able to say goodbye to your weapons because you know that they were not going to be with you for long.
2: Absolutely, yeah. The guardian weapons, for context, are these—they're like rare ancient relics. Um, I, I think they probably are related to your Sheikah slate in some respect. They're blue. And they're blue, <laughs> and they look like they're like I don't know, made of lasers. They look, in some
1: respect. They look super futuristic.
2: Yeah, totally super like yeah, ancient alien type stuff. Um, and very very strong um i i for me mo honestly answering your question the weapons that i used ended up changing throughout uh but i loved getting to like the dragon bone stuff okay um, cool because you could end up tackling an enemy that you know was going to um shock you or use another thing that would potentially hurt and you knew that the dragon bone was not only strong and not only durable but something that you could catch on fire if you needed to. Or it was something that, if they shocked you, your weapons weren't going to go flying.
0: Ah, totally. Did you, um... Like, the reason I asked this one is because in my playstyle, the thing I focused on specifically was a shielded fight with a one-handed sword. And, like, almost... All the battles I went in, like, if I was, like, actually trying to strategically beat and dodge, I played it as, like, divide and conquer. Take one guy down, move on to the next, and I used that shield essentially to lock on. Did you guys use that, or was that kind of, like, uh, one of those things that they add in that only some people are using? I'm, tr- I'm trying to see if there was unique, like, fighting styles uh, amongst our, our, our playthroughs.
1: I tried to play it a little bit stealth to begin pretty much every encounter, is I would kind of walk up and sort of, like, take pop shots from far away with, like, an arrow, uh, especially like I really abused the bomb arrows where I could. Um, and then after like those went off and I got rid of most of the, most of the, uh, the enemies I would go in and clean up with whatever melee weapon I had on me.
0: Cool. Cool. Uh, did you guys have issues with arrows? Like I never, I don't think I actively like found arrows anywhere and I was, those were like primo boss fight stuff and I never used them on like the average shows.
2: Yeah, I found that I did not use the shield that much um, I only started figuring out the parry system towards the end of the game when I was going to hunt the Lynels um, and realized that I needed to figure out how to parry um, I spent a lot of time with the rod or staff weapons yeah. that you mm-hmm. could kill a bunch of people from a distance and get a lot of jabs in very quickly um, I also I ended up hoarding a bunch of arrows for for a while until i started using them Mm -hmm. um i think when i got to one of the divine beasts that uh is is a giant bird um Mm -hmm. and i think we're covering that in the next episode that's where i ended up using bows a whole lot more and found them to be so op if you could hit someone in the head totally wow was it a strong
0: hit especially bosses i think that was like the 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 crux of it if you're able to like hit them square in the head or in the eye in particular there's always like a knockdown or the progression to the next stage of the fight
2: yeah and i found that bows were so durable like i ended up collecting a lot of bows (laughs) and rarely feeling like they ever broke because i was using them
0: yeah I think, like, uh, I don't I don't know if I've ever distinguished a bow from the other, except for the ones that had, like, the functionality of shooting two or three. But, like, I think one in particular, oh, sorry, and there's one more that, like, when I snapped it back, it was, like, a focused one for, like, long distance. Besides that, I was slinging them in, like, rapid-fire mode. Definitely didn't play them with, like, a strategic mind uh, at all.
2: Yeah, so different bows were useful for different things. Some were way better at not having drop-off. Some were a lot faster in how quickly they get the arrow to the target. Um, I definitely know what you mean, though. Until I started using the bows, I didn't appreciate the difference between them.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: Um, Okay, I think we've dived into the weapons (laughs) a bit. Um, Let's talk about food. Who wants to explain for our listeners what the food system is like in the
0: game? Okay, I'm going to start it off. I'll give it a shot. Uh, It's (laughs) essentially you have access to a plethora of ingredients and items that are falling around the world. So think of like berries, uh, little bugs, animals, wildlife. uh, All can convert into like plants, fish. Yeah, everything in the world. If you if you see something moving, you can go and bite it. Most likely, bananas. Exactly, (laughs) apples. So. the game has a system where if you introduce heat, uh, or in, in some instances ice, the food will transform uh, into like something. So you you have the ability to like grab items from your inventory, combine them into a pot if you see like a open flame or a flame with a bowl in it, uh, and you're able to conjure up both like elixirs that will help you give you like buffs in the game um, and like health in general and different other effects that help you throughout the game. This seems way more complex than I even dived into. But for me, every time I wanted to do something, it seemed to just work how I wanted. If I wanted something with fire, I introduced like a fire character. Um, but it, I really love this system. Mo,
2: I swear. I thought you were going to be the Gordon Ramsey of this game. <laughs> I thought you were going to be in front of that pot not only combining stuff, but just telling people they're idiot sandwiches for for, for trying to do, do the <laughs> wrong recipe.
0: Man, I, I almost did look at a Goron in the face and say, it looks like Gandhi's flip-flop. But I, I, I refrained from doing that. There's, there's a lot of things that Ramsay uh, was yelling in my head whenever I'm cooking, but I never actually thought of it, Mike, while playing the game. That's funny.
1: Uh, two of my favorite little details about this game, among many of my favorite things about this game. Uh, is number one the sound uh, that it plays when you're making some food and especially like once you get like a successful uh you make something successfully because i don't know if you guys had the experience of trying to make something and it failing and it just gives that sound oh yeah. yeah oh yeah um the wet fart sound yes that one uh and then my other favorite little detail is uh if you were to go up to a cow with a regular sword and chop it you just get steak if you go up with a fire sword and chop it you get a seared steak
0: it's beautiful (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) there is so much attention to detail in this game and the food is one of those perfect areas um i totally did not understand the food system at first i understood like the very basic stuff like if i hold more apples and bake them all together it Mm -hmm. will make a dish instead of just more baked apples um But over time, I started to figure out what items did what. And I got way... You know, honestly, it felt like me in my journey of being a home home cook (laughs) of like, oh, you know, you start out with a really basic recipe and you work with your favorite ingredients. And then as you get more comfortable, you can suddenly start pulling off some crazy dishes. You know, you suddenly understand what the building blocks of cooking are and you figure out how to put everything together. So by the end, I was making like... Um, these amazing mushroom dishes and um, finding ways to just optimize the hell out of uh, out of uh, the, the food that I got. The other thing that I found was one of the dishes you can make, um, honestly, I'm surprised I'm blanking on it right now. It's been it's been a, a couple months since I was playing, but there's a dish that you can make that optimizes for what your input cost is to your output if you sell it. Um, and this oh. is one of the ways that I min max my playing of the <laughs> game to get a, basically infinite money. Oh, I, I spent man. a bunch wow. of time farming. Uh, a crazy amount of stuff so that way i had money to buy anything i wanted anywhere i went
0: man i was thinking about this the whole time i'm like this is definitely there's definitely some like spreadsheet out there to like show the optimal like food you can do and i kept yelling at myself like do not look for it do not look for it. michael is waiting for you to finish this game like you cannot dive into this rabbit hole because i wanted to so bad
2: i I wouldn't have blamed you Mo. Um, I mean I, I desperately did want to record this but I, I do appreciate that you took the bullet for me and and moved through it um, So yeah I think I think not only can you grab any food item uh, but the enemies also drop things when you when you kill them depending on what type they are. So if you kill any of the the chews, you get choo-choo jelly. Um, in different like flavors, right? You can get regular choo-choo jelly, you can get electric, you can get fire, you can get all different types. Um, you can also, whenever you kill the bokoblins, you can get their horns, you can get their jaws, you can get the toenails of the giant ogres. You can get all of these different parts and if you use those in the cooking, you can get different elix- elixirs that give you different buffs and, and things on top of that. Um, I have to admit, I did not use elixirs at all. I did not figure out how to best uh, combine those ingredients. I I just ended up selling them in a lot of cases. And I think by the end of the game, I had hundreds of just about every item.
0: Yeah, it was totally like the food I did a little bit of just like making as I needed, especially for some fights where you know you're going to be eating a lot because you're going to be like attacked a lot. But elixirs, I, I made a first couple when missions told me to do it. Um, but a lot of them were like, "Hey, help you be like heat resistant." Well, you just could find clothes that would like solve that, or like, "Oh, it's too cold up there." Well, you'll fi- eventually find a solution that elixirs like aren't aren't the most optimal for. So yeah, I didn't I didn't do that either. I sold them for money the majority of the time, the the bug parts and the monster parts.
1: Yeah, Galen, did you use them? Uh, yeah, I can't really say that I did. I think I stumbled upon making them uh, when making food, but. Uh, really, never found like a crazy use case for them that I felt that I needed to use them for. Besides, like the I think pretty early on there was a uh, a situation where you needed to venture into the cold, so you needed to make an electric that would heat you up. And besides that, I think I used it one more time in a different uh, cold area of the game. But besides that, I didn't use it a whole lot.
2: That was that was the key moment where I started to feel I don't want to say comfortable with cooking, but that's when I really was like, oh, I'm gonna have to learn this cooking system. When they send you into the cold and they basically say, like, you better grab these peppers and cook them into a dish because it's the only thing that's going to allow you to survive um, your approach here. Um, I I also think every single person has had the experience of grabbing a bacoblin part or some enemy part and adding it to your food dish and having it end up with the wet fart where it's something inedible that you can't actually use. That happened many a time um, on my
1: playthrough. I,
2: I don't know a single... <laughs> I can't imagine a single person that played this game that did not have that. So that is one of those rare universal gaming experiences, I think.
0: Uh, what What did that do? Because the description for it was like, might do something, <laughs> might be good for you. It was like a little snarky comment. Could you get hurt eating all that stuff?
2: I think your Link uh, vomits if you, if you eat it. Um, the, what I love about it is the image is pixelized because they're like, this is so <laughs> disgusting, we don't even want to show you.
0: Yeah man Nintendo just knows what it's doing uh, the other mechanism that we kind of didn't touch up on yet is uh, the horses, um, wild roaming horses that essentially are your, your ghost from, uh, from Halo or uh, <laughs> your, your I think that little motorcycle rider from Destiny 2, essentially your way to travel around this vast open world. They're a callable little horse that you can catch. Uh, did you guys really dabble a lot with the stables and like customizing your horses and all of that or did you just grab one like me and just kept it the whole game?
2: I feel like Galen definitely did. There, you know, there's there's a Witcher Three Roach element. I think Roach is the name of the horse, right? Roach
1: is the name of the horse, but uh, I did not use the horses all that much. I did oh not, come on! I did not find them nearly as useful as a Roach because I kind of uh, like with every other part of this game. It's like I just found there were just the other multiple ways to do things of like being able to get around the map was like for me a horse was like way way far down the list of the least of the most interesting things uh, that I could traverse this world with like the climbing and the hang gliding and and the shield boarding were way more exciting to me
2: oh my god i didn't realize that shield boarding was a thing until i was basically done the
1: game
0: it took me a while just remembered and i didn't do it at all
1: yeah it was uh it was pretty late for me when i realized like how to do it but i probably added another like five hours to my playthrough
2: i was totally on the last uh divine beast and i was riding those walruses in the sand with the uh with with the shields and i don't know if you realize this but different shields perform differently um when you when you shield ride right like based on their shape based on their durability etc cetera, etc cetera. like some are way better than others
0: that i had no idea of
2: so, so i think i must have been the only one that used horses then
0: yeah, because I think I had, like, two horse symbols randomly on the map, and they're the ones I just forgot about. And <laughs> like Gillen like said, like, it just, I just kind of, it was just so fun just, like, traversing the, the environment. For me, I just kind of climbed to the highest point and just started gliding a lot. Uh, so the, the horse was, like, an afterthought. Unless I was near a stable, then I'd call it and I'd take it, I'd have it take me to wherever I'm going.
2: See, I found the horses super useful in mapping out or, or it, discovering the whole map. Um, and once I had discovered the whole map, then I ended up fast traveling, just about mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, but there were often missions where it's like, oh, you just it's gonna be in between these two, these two places. It's not especially close to anything. Mm-hmm. So you better better get uh, comfortable finding a way to get there. Um, the, the horse system in the game is you sneak up behind it and depending on what armor you have, depending on what weapons you have open, they will make different amounts of noise. And once you get up to them, you hop on the back and you need to tame them. And once you've tamed that horse, you can bring it to a stable, leave it there, um, and they'll all have different uh, levels of speed, stamina, durability, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it is, um, I think, one of, the, one of the interesting systems of the game that allows you to do some pretty cool things.
0: I just remembered my most one of my most memorable Breath of the Wild moments, and it involves the horse. So when I first played this game, um, I, I, you know, and one of the mechanisms when you would like uh, when you first get a horse is as you're riding it along, it'll kind of deviate, and you have to correct it, and then you pat it to kind of say, "Oh yeah, good boy" or "Good girl," kind of like. Uh, correcting its behavior that way so uh after playing breath of the wild for like a little while i ended up actually going horseback riding in real life like not related to the game whatsoever and the instructor was like when you first like jump onto the horse it's gonna like test you like it's gonna want to like dip dip its head down to eat or want to go off track you just have to like correct it right away and like kind of almost like show it who's boss initially I'm not even kidding. I was like, I learned this in Breath of the Wild. I'm going <laughs> to apply the same thing. So the whole time, every time I would correct it, I'd be like, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> I don't even know what Link really says, but I kind of did the same noise. And that's my little <laughs> special moment
2: of the day. I think the next system that we should probably talk through, because you're going to have to figure it out before you complete the game, is the shrine system. So there are all of these different shrines. Scattered throughout the, uh, scattered throughout the world, some which are hidden and underground, some are which ex- uh, which are exposed and waiting for you to go enter, and each one is a little puzzle for you to solve. Um, usually teaching you one or two different mechanics that you'll need to complete one of the nearby divine beasts or or bosses. Um, some are completely physics based, some are combat based, some are. Just, you know, traverse this thing and figure out how to climb. Um, I think the, the shrines were, for me, one of the best parts of the game. It was one of the areas where I got to, like, expand my mind and the developers in my mind were able to do things that didn't fit in, like, the natural world. Um and try some really fun, cool things. Like, I, I thought the shrines were a ton of fun. And when you complete them, I think I should just add, is when you get these little spirit orbs, and um, those spirit orbs are essentially your currency for doing other things in the game later.
0: Yeah, I, I did, for the shrines in general, not only did they kind of open up the map and kind of make you be able to, like, fast travel, like, throughout it a little bit quicker um i use them in particular to like hone my fighting skills because some of them when you enter them it'll say like um a a type of challenge like a moderate a light or like a hard challenge and what that is essentially you one-on-one against a guardian or a smaller guardian i've i almost actively tried to find all of those and mark them on my map to like help me hone and almost use them as like the fighting tutorial because there's there's some especially like uh uh, what's it called? Uh, like the Ganon mutations after you defeated a Divine Beast that I didn't don't think I would have been able to beat if I didn't like practice locking on and like the, the in combat stuff. Well, what did you guys like about the shrines? Um, uh, besides that, uh,
1: I think my favorite part not just about the sh- not just about the shrines but about some of the other puzzles in the game that you could find in the Divine Beast was that uh, for some of them, not for all of them, that there were multiple ways to solve them. Um, the big uh, examples being any of the ones that included any kind of like electricity. Uh, so for, yes. for example, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. For example, like some of the ones uh, where you had to connect two spots uh, and usually uh, by the way that Nintendo probably intended you uh, to uh, complete the puzzle was you move a box and it would just like connect the electricity from one spot to the next and then like a gate would open. But uh, if you just didn't want to do that for some reason or if you couldn't figure it out, uh you could drop all of your metal weapons and just leave them on the ground and then it would connect those two spots together man i love that so much
0: yeah it it totally like introduces like how open this game is like especially with like fighting in general and moving mechanics the, the fact that everything conducts electricity if it's metal is a cool consistent element in the game like especially when you get into those thunderstorms did you guys get into those and like, oh, yeah, totally. That was, act- that was such
2: a frustrating thing to same. say, like, this is my best armor, and I'm in the middle of a fight, and you're trying to, like, light me up with some, some lightning right now.
1: Um, no thank you. So I have an interesting story about the first time I encountered lightning uh, in the wilderness in Breath of the Wild. So I was coming up to this camp of these bad guys, and I was uh, going to go try and kill them, and then a lightning storm rolled in, and the sword I had on my back was a metal sword. And it took me a couple tries to realize why I was dying in one shot to this lightning and why it was targeting me. And then so eventually I went to that fight and I dropped that sword on the ground uh, and was like, I'll just go at them with a a wooden club. And then I realized if this lightning is going to one shot me, it can probably one shot those guys. So then I used the uh, stasis uh, perk, I guess, or the stasis rune and picked up. Magnesis? Magnesis, yes, sorry. Magnesis, I picked that one up uh, and pulled my sword over on top of them, and then, sure enough, the lightning strikes my sword and kills all the bad guys in the area.
2: You you created a, a, what's it called like a like a lightning rod? Yes, he became exactly. Thor.
0: That's what he became. That's what he did. I became. Thor.
2: <laughs> I, you know, I, this is one of the elements that I don't think we talked about. Like we've talked about all of these systems in isolation, but I think the beauty is in how they they all work, and it's that. This world feels real and, and believable in how it all interacts with each other. So, you know, we've talked about lightning and so, the, you know, you could have lightning strike right next to you and it'll catch some grass on fire and the grass can cook some of the fruit that fell on <laughs> from the tree that was also hit. And not only will you find like, um, you know, cooked fruit there or cooked food, but the the fire from the, the grass will create an updraft that you could jump into and use your glider to have that hot air carry you up into the sky. There's just like a huge number of ways for it to both go right and go wrong. And, you know, like let's say you needed a torch. You could dip your club in the, the flaming grass and suddenly have a torch that you're running around with. There's just so many ways that this world fits together. I think for me, where I best saw it come together was when uh, I was trying to cross the river and there was a raft there. And you grab the Korok leaf and you attack with the Korok leaf. And that will um, blast a gust of wind in the direction that you're facing. And you realize, oh, I can just propel myself across this water with this leaf here. This is amazing, man. Um, it's it was it's such a such a cool moment.
0: It's that's a thing. I think every single person that plays Breath of the Wild has a weird way of using a mechanic, or even if it's the intended way, but it, like it's piecing together like the you're trying to figure out a solution to a problem, and there's so many ways to do it, especially in Breath of the Wild. My moment was the magnesis near the near, like uh, near final stages. You're able to like see these giant aluminum like tins that you can magneto lift up. I don't know if you guys ever tried it, but you can turn it into full-fledged Magneto by picking those up and just launching them at characters, and they do crazy damage. It becomes like an actual like weapon mechanic if you're able to like time it right, launching giant metal containers at things. It just it is nothing but good for you.
2: I'm I'm totally with you. I spent a bunch of time just grabbing them. Bringing them as high as I could in the air over over the head of the enemy, and then dropping it. Dude, swing them! them. <laughs> yeah, to you, the could, you could
0: just them. swing yeah. them and crush people. Was, and yeah. I, the thing is, when you discover your way of doing something, you're like, "This is so great! I'm glad this worked." And it's not like ignoring the NPC or going through them, kind of.
2: Absolutely. Um, I feel there's one more th- one more system we have to talk through, and we can get through it quickly. And that's both health and stamina. So when you complete the shrines, you're given these spirit orbs. And you can take four of those spirit orbs to any little temple, um, pray to pray to the the god of High Rule, and get either more health or more stamina. What did you guys do?
1: Uh, I prioritized health at first, just because I felt like I was dying really easily. Uh, so that mm-hmm. was my priority at first. I felt like I could always kind of. Uh, figure out a way to get around any obstacle whether or not i had the stamina to just climb it straight up or if i could take little breaks along the way or just go around it
0: yeah i totally was the same way i never had a moment where i felt like i needed more stamina more stamina would have been nice but with health i ran into several situations where i needed more health or could it would have done well if i had like an extra couple blocks or two uh, so health so- was my sole focus
2: I, I think I'm the opposite of both of you. Really? I started with the mindset of I need more health because I'm tired of getting into these fights and dying quickly. And I got a little bit more. And when I was looking online and talking to some friends, they were like, no, dummy. Like, stamina is the way to go. And when I started stacking up on stamina, I realized it made my experience playing this game so much better. I could glide for longer. I could run longer. I could run faster. I could do all of these things that I was spending more time using, and it allowed me, or it just made me end up prioritizing cooking a bit more and having more food in reserves to use, um, and then also, you know, falling back on the little fairies that you catch or the um, heroic benefit that you get that brings you back to life when you're when you're killed all the way. So there are a lot of little things that mm-hmm. that ended up stacking up that for me made maxing out stamina. Um, much more interesting or felt ben- beneficial felt like the right path once once I did it um, sweet okay I think we've covered a lot of the different systems in this game I'm sure we'll talk about more ways that it interacts <laughs> for like interesting moments um, Mo, you've talked a bit about the beginning of the game and we've talked a bit about that first moment where you have holy cow wow I can go anywhere in here um, and you've talked a bit about meeting the king for the first time where did you guys go, and and what was your beginning of the game look?
0: Yeah, like? so as soon as you wake up and you are in in the open world, I think the the story essentially wants you to go to Kakariko Village to meet with Impa, uh, who is this I guess old lady who uh, knows about the current state of what's going on with Ganon and with Zelda, and kind of breaks it down to you that Princess Zelda is in a fight with Ganon in Hyrule Castle, and she's currently waiting for you to uh, assist her. And the game kind of just says, hey, the door is open. You have options to go release these things called Divine Beasts, which you really don't know much about, but essentially checkpoints pop up throughout the map in the dark areas that you haven't explored, and you have to kind of complete quests leading up to them to kind of defeat them or see what happens from there. So I don't know about you guys, but for me, when as soon as I got like kind of guided to Impa and the game opened up, I had to go to a walkthrough because I just I couldn't decide slash just wanted someone to tell me where to go uh, and kind of decided from there. How did you guys kind of decide? Cause it's essentially open door, go anywhere you want if you can get there from here.
1: Yeah. So for me personally, after I spoke with Impa uh, I just was very frustrated with how the map just had no detail to it at all. So my next objective was to just climb all the towers. Uh, so they kind of give you like the details uh, of the map. Uh, and then after that, uh, I just decided to move on to the Divine Beasts. Um, and I just kind of tackled them by whoever was the closest one after I finished all the 12 Towers.
2: I felt like I got um, herded into the, the right direction. Because if each biome, I think, has different difficulties of enemies and different like strength levels so if you start wandering off into a part that you shouldn't be the game doesn't like prevent you from going there but it will kill you very quickly and it will send the message like you are not ready for this (laughs) like you are not ready for this jelly (laughs) so they end up like killing you you spawn back and you end up just like in my mind like i ended up where i should have been this whole time (laughs) because it was just the people that i could hang with you know they they the coblins weren't like that crazy. There was no one that was that difficult to kill. And as I got better weapons, as I started, you know, accomplishing things and beating things, I just was naturally able to tackle different areas.
0: So I guess uh, maybe we'll, we'll tackle the, the first Divine Beast there. Uh, so the first one that I think we're, we'll all talk about, I'm not sure if you guys went to this one first. For me, I went to a different Divine Beast first, but this one was my second one, and it's Varuta um it's the, the elephant the, the big elephant essentially um and this one's located in the zoro domain which correct me if i'm wrong I'd, I'd call it like the water bird area a bunch <laughs> of birds live there there's a bunch of water there and they're they're kind of like protected by this mechanical contraption and which you come to learn is called the divine beast as we call the big elephant um <laughs> You, I wouldn't call them
2: birds, okay. just because there are literal bird people in this game.
0: Oh yeah, there's so many different like. I guess I don't want to. I don't want to like Zora like. Fish, they're a little more
1: you know. dolphiny.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And they can, they can fly. Dolphins that can fly.
2: <laughs> yeah, and you get. Um, I think the 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 thing that leads you over there is you stumble into the prince, and he's both this pompous and charming like you know heroic figure. And I think you're collecting electric um, arrows on the way over to it, um, which is is a fun little thing to do because you're in the domain where there's just water everywhere, <laughs> and you can shoot electricity. Yeah. Um, and when you finally get there, they explain to you, oh, like here's the problem: Varuta is going crazy, and you're given a little bit of context before this that there's this great, you know, great calamity. This prior history where um, there were four heroes and four um, great guardians and it seems like Ganon or the Great Calamity was able to turn them all on their head. So not only were these different guardians who were around the map uh, on your side at one point and mobilized against Ganon, but um, all of these big heroes were too and now they're all corrupted or um, deactivated. So you need to figure out how you do that. And Faruta is the first one that I went after. Um, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you primarily have to just figure out how to get the water that he's spewing in a different direction.
0: Yeah, well, just in a nutshell, all the Divine Beasts are essentially mechanical figures where there's puzzles inside. Um, they all kind of follow a similar structure, but they have different kind of problems in there. The one with the elephant is... You're able to like move the, 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 the elephant's trunk to move water back and forth, which causes different functions to happen. So there's almost like uh, windmills or water mills inside of his mechanism. If water is sprayed onto them, they will spin a certain way, which may get you to a different section. And what you're doing essentially is freeing the divine beast from the control of the Calamity Ganon. Uh, and by doing that you're kind of achieving you're re- reaching uh shrines throughout the divine beast to kind of wake it up and bring it back to power thus giving you almost the the bump you like a additional like a, a attack ability or whatever it might be in this case being it gives you the uh the health buff so if you do get knocked out completely in battle um you do get a complete revive and a complete boost in health uh, essentially um
2: I loved that in this domain you um, you figure out how to climb waterfalls or swim up them. Um, it was such such a cool moment. Um, and I think it's the thing that sets up the like intro to each of these different Divine Beast boss battles, which is like, how do you get onto the beast or how do you get there? And the setup is, is largely this prince that you meet earlier says like, hop on my back <laughs> and you need to... He's swimming around Varuta and and you need to attack the, the the different points that allow you to get close and get on board.
0: How did you guys find Varuta? For me, it was the like I I love the fact that I was able to like do that waterfall like glide and like learn. Uh, um, Uh, learn a new mechanic, but I had like the super jump ability that the bird divine beast already kind of gave me. So, so my experience with this one was a little bit easier because I was able to like glide up really high and like, uh, attack at a different angle. So, uh, how did you guys find it coming in fresh with no ability? Was it a tough first divine beast essentially?
1: Uh, I thought he was a good first divine beast. He wasn't too complicated. Um, and his, like the attacks before you kind of get in are like telegraphed, like very, very, uh, early, So you can kind of, he sh- essentially shoots ice blocks at you and then you just break them apart. And that gives you an opening to go up the waterfall and attack those points like Mike was talking about. And it's all like telegraphed pretty early. There's a lot of time to, to react to them. Um, I think it was kind of intended uh, to be the first divine beast that you attack because everything that he does is pretty, uh, none of it comes as a surprise really. That's exactly how I felt. I felt like this
2: was the easiest of the divine beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and was the one with, I don't, wouldn't say training wheels, but it was definitely the one that they are going the easiest on you, you know? Like, uh, in the same way that you're going to get funneled into certain areas, it felt like I was funneled into the Varuta, like, Divine Beast, you know, story right from the get-go. The, th-
1: the thing that sticks out to me about this one was uh, Waterblight Ganon, and I was just, like, totally, like, unprepared for him because I had, like, no arrows and I ended up just like <laughs> cheesing him at the end by just throwing bombs at his face. Like, like that's that's the biggest yes. thing. That's the biggest memory for me from from this boss.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think fighting water the the water blight Ganon was a surprise for me because I was not expecting to have these mini Ganon fights throughout the throughout the game, and especially not during these during these moments. I don't know. You, like, you can see the corruption. But I didn't expect that I was going to have to fight it at least initially.
0: Yeah, I totally had to like back out and buy more arrows because before you start, the your companion guy who says, "Hey, make sure you have arrows with you." He kind of gives you that heads up, but they were so scarce throughout this game that the only way I was able to win it was those uh, headshots and the eye shots that uh, we, we we mentioned like earlier in earlier today.
2: I think one of the things that you know is is worth mentioning is that during the uh, divine beasts you are essentially like teleported outside of the map in a way Mm -hmm. um, where you have a little mini map of what the beast is looking like and what they're doing in the bottom right. And so much of you completing the puzzle of it is getting the beast and adjusting them to the position that you want them to be. So in a lot of this, Mo mentioned, there's the, the different water wheels, there's the gears that you have to get back into the right spot. There's also a bunch of using the freeze mechanic um, with your um, with your Sheikah Slate um, and, and you know, creating different pillars, opening different doors, getting things open. Um, and then with this one in particular, I, I think the thing that I remembered the most was it was about moving the trunk so that way where the water was going was, was adjusted. And I think as soon as you get that all aligned, um, Varuta just starts moving off out of the water and it doesn't it isn't a uh it isn't a threat for the for the zora kingdom below all right so we tackled the first divine beast um and i think we've gotten a pretty good um grasp on on what it's like tackling one of these let's talk about the next one um which one are we talking through next
0: uh so the next one i have that i set in the call sorry i'm gonna break off of the recording for a sec but i put the the one from the goron the fire one But that should be the last one i think because it's, I think it's the hardest one. Um, so I think we should talk about the bird next. That, what do you think? That meadow, I think his name is. I
2: believe so. The bird is the one that I did next too. Okay. I think. Really, I think
1: I did. I think I did the salamander next when I played through. Oh really? Yeah. In the
2: walkthroughs say to do um, Varudania, the 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 one on the mountain, yep. Mount Doom okay i'm good yeah, talking one. about Varudanya. I, it next. doesn't yeah, matter do that. That. like um, i can just yeah i can just add context that like hey i did this one at the end yeah
0: same okay so, so that's all we'll do uh the, the next one we have up uh is Varudanya. for me guys this is the last one i did um it, it seemed like it was the, the trickiest one based off of like the kind of guide i was following for like just figuring out which divine beast um, they said this one saved last, and it's the one, uh, the salamander, the, the big fire-breathing one in the Goron City. Um, how did so, you guys find this one?
2: Yeah, this is the one that is basically on Mount Doom. It's like <laughs> yeah, totally. surrounded by lava, like Sauron's looking at you the whole time. No wonder I head. like this one. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that I did last because I was so intimidated, like getting close to this thing. Like it felt like I just got near and all my metal equipment started you know, like getting too hot to touch and anything that was not made out of metal was starting to catch fire and I was just taking damage by being near it and I was like, oh man, I don't know what meals I need to make just to be able to like survive here for a period of time. Um, so I ended up pushing it off until the end of the game when I had a way better sense of it and even then, this felt like the single toughest uh, divine beast to to tackle. Um, how does
1: how do we how do we like get on this one? What is the setup for it? Uh, so for me, I tackled him second just by chance, uh, and I just kind of mm-hmm. grinded my way up uh, across Death Mountain just <laughs> by your sheer will and uh, stubbornness. Um, but he also happened to be like my favorite uh, divine beast because just like the way you approach him is when you're going up Death Mountain. Uh, you're going up him with a new friend that you've made called Unobo, uh, and you come across these cannons that you have to fire. Uh, first, you have to take control of them, and then once you take control of them, Unobo jumps in the cannon and you drop a bomb, and then you fire Yunobo off at the salamander. Yeah, and it moves him across the mountain, and then he eventually settles in uh, basically a pool of lava, uh, which then you fly down onto him on. So that's just the whole setup of getting to him was the reason that he's my favorite of the four defined beasts. Yes. I totally forgot that there are those
2: cannons, and you shoot your Goron friend like a cannonball from from one to the next. Yeah,
0: yeah, because c- c- I think it's it like his dad or his boss or whatever is like I would do it, but my back hurts. So, like, <laughs> he, he sends his like I think is the descendant, I guess, of the previous hero. So like each divine beast has like a, a previous hero that like defended it or whatever it might be, and this is I think like that person's descendant. The the other thing
2: that that reminds me of is when you go into that Goron town for the first time, um, you find this armor or this outfit to wear, and it's one of the I don't know maybe hundred plus outfits in this game. Um, and the outfit looks like an old diver's suit, uh, but it's entirely designed to protect you from the heat. So I thought it was just a little bit comical seeing your your little Link in a diver's helmet and di- diver's like bodysuit, but being in the hottest temperature possible, instead of like at the bottom of the water.
1: <laughs> Another thing I'll add it is was... that the music in Goron City is my favorite music in the game. I think
0: it's it's there's some bangers there for yeah. sure, for sure. Do the uh do the the like the the Blight Ganons like difficulty scale depending on how many Divine Beasts you have? Like, does it get harder if I've completed one or two, or is it like, for example, Galen, you went to it second. Was it absurd and impossible to get through, or like how like?
1: I found him okay, just because I'd kind of learned my lesson from the first one and being uh, under equipped and being unprepared. I made sure that by the time I was ready to go and actually go into the divine beast, uh, and also now knowing that I was going to have to fight uh, some sort of blight at the end of it, that I was going to need to have a bunch of tools on me, a bunch of weapons, a bunch of arrows, just to make sure that I was prepared to fight him. So I found him
2: okay. And I, I think the other thing too and I'm getting ready for us to play a Souls game. It's happening. It's going to happen. I don't care what Jacob, our little softy friend says about it. He's going to play it. He's going to love it. It's going to happen. Um, but what I love about this game is that it reminds me of the Souls games in that it's not about your character getting stronger. It's about you developing better mastery of the like mechanics and the techniques and learning how to play it because the number of like pro speedrunner like breath of the wild people i've seen that just go in with like a fresh account and are able to like absolutely dominate the lynels
0: like how Um,
2: (laughs) you know it's amazing but it just emphasizes that it's like no no this is not about like you needing to level up this is about you needing to put in the time with the game to learn the different mechanics
0: totally like and i actually started playing demon souls in between playing this i I feel like that the Souls game in general will make you a better player in video games Um, full stop it makes you less soft. Yeah. but Back to uh, Varudanya. Maybe we should start with the, the core mechanics. So we mentioned the the first divine beast. You can move the trunk and it would manipulate like water that would enter the divine beast and affect like different mechanics in there. For th- for this salamander, essentially how you move him is you can. he gets tilted. He can climb up a wall and climb down in a wall. And th- because his body tilts and you're inside of the body, you're essentially gravity is affecting different me- mechanisms. It's dropping certain gates. It's closing them. It's opening them. And you're kind of trying to find those five checkpoints while manipulating the Divine Beast. Um, did you guys have any trouble with like the, the puzzles or anything? Anything stand out in general inside uh, of the Divine Beast? Uh, Vavradania
1: was pr- the only Divine Beast that I did not use any guides for. He was the only one I could figure out the entire thing on my own. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit it. that for the other three, I had to look, look up guides for at least one of the little stations that you had to find while you are inside of them
2: you know i can't remember quite honestly i can't remember which divine beast i needed to use a guide for but there was one where i was just so frustrated trying to like thinking i have figured out exactly what i need to do here and just realizing that because the game allows you to tackle things in any order in a lot of cases i cheesed my way into an area that i shouldn't have um, (laughs) and was able to get some things done in the wrong order okay um So I I honestly don't remember this one in particular, Um, but I do remember that this area and everything involved with it just felt like I was playing life on hard mode.
0: Totally. I I think I had the most trouble with this one. It was, I think, my last... uh, Yeah, this is my last Divine Beast, but Divine the Fire Blight Ganon at the end of this was one... Like that completely stumped me and I had to like attempt playing him over and over again. I don't know and I think when I did beat him, it was because I had the third Divine Beast ability and I totally like think if I didn't have the abilities of the other three I would not have like defeated the Fireblade Ganon. That's that's how much trouble I was having.
2: I, I think this is also the, the the Ganon spirit that took me the longest to beat. Um even though I felt like I had the best grip on the mechanics by the end of it i think it was one where i took the most amount of damage uh,
0: this is a random question but i remember vividly with this because it was difficult for both you and me like did you start fire blight fights with all of your abilities reset or did you just go in like as you were playing because i didn't oh. do that until the very end and i was like no 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 let me wait for everything mm-hmm. to completely like get going before i start stuff
2: I spent a bunch of time waiting for all of the different like okay. heroes, spirits to learn, like benefits to recharge. Um, like I waited to make sure I was good to go. I it, for me it was like the same type of prep as like going to make meals ahead of time and going to the shop to make <laughs> totally. sure I had all the arrows I needed. Like it was it was I was prepping for battle
0: yeah you know <laughs>
2: that, like i was not just rolling in i was i was a sasuke i wasn't an naruto gotcha. you know? i'm trying to speak your language mo
0: sasuke <laughs> i do love my naruto <laughs> thanks man
2: <laughs> i'm making an effort you know
0: totally so, uh once you kind of take down this divine beast i, I can't remember what's the, so the, the ability is essentially like a defensive block right
1: yeah, exactly. So when you were climbing up Death Mountain to essentially like move uh, Varudania into the lava, when you were firing Unobo to basically act as a live cannonball into him, uh, he was activating the shield ability, uh, and then so once you defeat Fireball Ganon, that is the ability that you gain from him.
0: Man, see, like having I don't want to dive into the original Gan like the final like boss right away, but this ability I can't see you having a good time fighting Ganon without like it's it, it essentially like a, whatever you do, you put up, you put up a Gandalf shield and so you shall not pass. Like you, it's an <laughs> infinite stop of an attack and it saved me so many times fighting so many things.
2: There were definitely, definitely moments where this power came in, in, in super handy. Um, I have to say, my, my favorite power is the one that we're going to be covering in the next one. Um, I won't spoil which one it is, but um, yeah, there there are some really cool powers. It's a nice little treat that after you complete these divine beasts, they give you like, oh, and here's a little like Mega Man token. You yeah. know, it's like, <laughs> oh, you completed this boss, and now you've got their weapon. Yeah, totally. you know, like here's this little thing that you carry with you as like not only a token that you completed this thing, but as like a unique benefit. Um, It really does feel like one of the few, few ways that you level up in this game um, without it feeling like it's necessary to have to to get to the next area or to do the next thing.
0: Totally. Do you guys feel ready to, to fight Ganon after finishing two Divine Beasts? Like, would you would you have attempted it?
2: You know, uh, I got smacked around pretty good every time <laughs> I went around the castle where Ganon is. So I would definitely not have been comfortable doing it. I got killed by those guardians so many times.
1: Yeah, my strategy, uh, not to step on the next podcast too much, but basically once I finished the four Divine Beasts, was to I spent a lot of time just knocking out a bunch of shrines to make sure my stamina and my health was where I felt it totally. needed to be at uh, before Training I could yes. go in there.
2: Yeah. Oh man, I cannot echo that enough I Not only did I hunt down Every single shrine I could find Because I thought they were fun But it also was like, oh, this is the way That I grind this game to make sure That I have all of the resources I need <laughs> oh, yeah. when I walk into that Next battle
0: so that's it guys that's the that's the first two divine beasts as well as the general Woo. mechanics of uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild we've been recording for quite a while uh, there's so wow. many things we could talk uh, on about but uh, I think we're going to save it for our part 2 to continue on with uh, the big bad Ganon the other two divine beasts and just some uh, closing opinions and what we really feel about the game cuz we've been lovey-dovey we've been talking about all the pros but next episode we're going to we're going to give our final full opinions um so tune into that right. for <laughs> sure Uh, so, uh, actually Galen, where can the fine folks find you, uh, after they're done listening to this episode? Uh,
1: so if you guys want to come check out, uh, I've been streaming a little bit on Twitch lately. You can find me at twitch.tv slash Havy, but that's spelled H four V E Y. Uh, and if you want to follow me on Instagram to see some mountain pictures, uh, that's at Galen Havy, uh, G A L E N H A V E Y.
0: Awesome. You can find me on almost all social media platforms at Amritati, but also on our Discord server where we're chatting about Breath of the Wild and all things video games. That can be found at leftbehindgameclub.com or leftbehindgame.club slash Discord. That'll take you right to that server where we can chat with you guys about everything gaming. Michael, where can the fine folks find you. The fine folks can find me at Ruffalo
2: M on most social places online. Other than that, you can find my personal website at MichaelRuffalo.com or .ca, whichever you prefer. And lastly, you can find me, um, you know, dealing with people coming at me with knives or my hot takes (laughs) and my controversial (laughs) gaming opinions in the Discord server. If you want to come at me with a knife, that's the best place to find me. Um, Meet me in the streets. I'm out here. uh, Left Behind Big button in the middle of the page to join our Discord server. Um, And that, my friends is half of the game uh, not left behind
0: I'm Jacob McCourt I'm Katie Lasbrance, And I'm Travis Colnett. We are hosting a brand new podcast called Cutscenes There are tons of video game podcasts And tons of TV film podcasts But we're going to bring you the intersection of both And talk about video game movies and TV
1: I know what you're thinking Aren't most of them not very good? Wrong Some of them are fine And we're going to
0: tell you all about them Make sure to subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice Follow us on Twitter at Cutscenes underscore pod And most importantly Give us a listen Cutscenes, a video
2: game movie podcast.